Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Joining me today, the Athletics' Lindsey Jones talks about the five quarterback battles that have recently been decided and what happens next for those various teams and the players involved. Before that, wanted to quickly tell you that the ESPN College Football Podcast is now five days a week. It's hosted by Kirk Herbstreet, David Pollack, and Kevin Nagandi. Not only are they back, but this year they're joined by Reese Davis, Matt Berry, Paul Feinbaum, Booger McFarland, and Joey Galloway. From weekend reactions to Monday mornings to previews, the ESPN College Football Podcast has it covered by the voices and perspectives you'll want to hear from. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And in addition, if there's a game, guys, somebody is betting on it. Stream season two of Better Days, the Mike Greenberg-hosted series that brings the true stories of unforgettable gambling adventures to life. All episodes are now streaming only on ESPN+. Plus. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Now, here's Lindsey Jones talking about the various quarterback battles that have been fought, waged, and now won around the NFL. All right, joining me now here, as promised, not only a friend of mine, not only an excellent NFL writer, not only a regular podcaster with my former colleague, Robert Mays, over at the Athletic Football Show. Also, I would venture to say possibly the budding matriarch of a podcast dynasty to come. Is that fair to say, Lindsay Jones? Well, we'll see. I mean, season two of my daughter's NFL pick podcast will be coming soon. She is now five and she went to her first NFL game last week. She, I took her to Broncos Rams preseason game where she got to do some in-depth scouting of uh, the Broncos starters and the Rams like fourth stringers. So she's ready. <laughs> She got to see both the approaches towards the preseason. Broncos playing people deep into the preseason. The Rams, uh, I think Sean McVay would have had a heart attack if Matthew Stafford had even come close to stepping on the football field. Yeah, and she um, she also got to meet Mina Kimes, um, sure. another famous podcaster, uh, our, our friend and colleague. Um, so that was that was a highlight. So yeah, so we're we're really excited about uh, season two of the Picks podcast and see see if maybe she does. Uh, how she does this year. I don't want to say necessarily she can do better because I think she did pretty well for a four-year-old last year, but I'm going to start tracking and make sure I have her overall win-loss record. Uh, See, here's the thing. People might be like, oh, a four-year-old podcaster. What what could I possibly learn from a four-year-old? Lindsay, who did your four-year-old, or your at-the-time four-year-old daughter, Lena, pick to win the Super Bowl last year? Uh, She picked the Buccaneers. And who did a professional NFL writer, podcaster, uh, Bill Barnwell picked to win the Super Bowl last year. I'm guessing it's probably the same team I did, and we don't really need to talk about it. Yeah, so I wouldn't, um, I would, I wouldn't rule out Lena having a better record than perhaps me if we both had to make picks for the NFL season. But we're today we're going to talk about uh, a different sort of competition, not a podcasting competition, uh, but a, a different sort of maybe uh, young star 
rising through the ranks in many places. We're going to talk about the quarterback competitions that have been settled around the NFL in the last week or two. Um, there's definitely a bunch of really interesting situations occurring. We've had some recent news, of course, that we're going to get to in a second. Uh, some situations that I would say are infuriating when it comes to the logic being uh, thrown about for uh, a team or two here. But let's start, Lindsay, with the most recent news, which was earlier this week. Uh, the Patriots not just giving their starting job to Mac Jones, but flat out cutting Cam Newton, uh, the former MVP, their starter from 2020, uh, without even trying to trade him reportedly. So, Lindsay, let's start there. I mean, were you surprised, number one, to see Mac Jones win the job, and number two, to see Cam Newton off the roster even before this season started? Yeah, I think the latter is the more surprising move. Um, You know, I think the way that the preseason was progressing and especially kind of the final week of that competition, the days in which Cam Newton was unable to participate because of his misunderstanding about the COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you could kind of see the situation building where Mac Jones could win this job and it wasn't going to be um, kind of a fluky thing where he was actually outperforming Cam Newton on a daily basis at training camp um, and then in the preseason games. So I think you could see that coming and make, you could have made that argument two or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It was still surprising to see Cam Newton has been flat out released because you know, it's still Cam Newton, right? I mean, it's just surprising to see a big name like that Mm -hmm. come across, uh, come across the wire, the transaction report. Um, You know, I guess it makes sense in that he's made it fairly clear. I think um, that he doesn't want to be a backup quarterback. He might not be the best backup quarterback systematically for Mm -hmm. what the Patriots are going to do now with Mac Jones as their starter that, you know, having, Brian Hoyer as the backup might fit better because you don't want to have two different schemes and skill sets in terms of what your offense looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that side though, was it was still a little bit more surprising to just see, just see him, you know, flat out getting cut. And it's going to be really interesting to see what comes next for Cam Newton. If he, if he's able to land a job somewhere else this season, if he wants to, um, cause I don't really see a clear path to him being a starting quarterback, certainly. Mm-hmm. And then even a place that makes sense is like, oh yes, he's going to want to go there. or This team is going to want them to be him to be their backup. Yeah. I mean, that's the tough part. My next question was going to be, where do you think he might end up as a backup? Because I mean, the only place I think you could really credibly say he might have a shot at being a starter in the short term would be Houston. And that's just out of just, there's nothing there. I mean, Deshaun Watson, of course, um, you know, not playing as he's being investigated for dozens of sexual assault allegations. Um, Tyrod Taylor going to be the starter there, it seems like. But I mean, that's not a, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big Tyrod fan, but I just, that seems like a situation that's going to be a mess all year, whether Cam goes there or not. And I mean, the pickings after that are really slim. I mean, so many teams are set with their starting quarterback or set with their backup quarterback. And, you know, like you said, I, I think, Cam is someone who I don't know that I buy the argument that he's a distraction or that he's a um, that he's someone who's going to like be too high profile as a backup or, yeah. or someone who's going to like like spur a team to make a change they wouldn't want to make because they have a guy who is on paper a former MVP. But just I think the things that Cam does well, like it, you know, 
they're not necessarily the same things that a lot of starters do well in the NFL. And I think that's the tough part is just, you know, if you, maybe if you had an entire off season, you could say, okay, we're going to use cam in this specific role, kind of like a Taysom Hill sort of role with the saints. And we're going to have packages for him. And we're going to have this, you know, we're going to have stuff that plays to his strengths and him coming in now in September as a possible backup somewhere, it seems a lot tougher to install that stuff as the season starts, unless you have a starter who also runs with the ball quite frequently. Yeah. I mean, I think the only place that it would make a lot of sense is like for a backup quarterback situation to me would be Baltimore Mm -hmm. because I don't think they're particularly deep behind Lamar Jackson. Um, Scheme wise, it would make a lot of sense. You do have a quarterback who frequently runs the ball. Um, My question here though, is, you know, if, if the Ravens were to be interested is then you would have two quarterbacks who are unvaccinated Mm -hmm. and I don't need this to become a a COVID podcast because I I tend to do that way too often, unfortunately, because of what I tend to write about a lot, Mm -hmm. but it is a legitimate thing where that could be a liability to have two quarterbacks who could be unavailable for stretches of time because of the way that the COVID protocols are written or because they could potentially you know, catch COVID. Obviously both of these guys, both Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton have previous cases. They both missed mm-hmm. time last year. Yes. Um, and, and, and they both missed time during training camp because of um, COVID rules or COVID reasons. So I, it's a liability and it is something that could affect Cam Newton's chances to latch on to another team. He would have to, you know, it takes a, it's a five day intake process to get mm-hmm. in on a new team. It's not so easy that, you know, you're all of a sudden your starter goes down and you say, Oh, Cam Newton, we can get him in the building. It's going to take five days unless he has at some point in the last, you know, 48 hours decided to get his first, uh, his first shot. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen with a few teams last year, I think the bills with Jake Fromm came to mind. They had a quarterback who was basically like separated from the rest of the team where it was the, you know, break, glass in case of emergency quarterback, where if everyone got broken down, he was going to be the guy who was going to come into play. And of course, um, the team that you were nearest to the Denver Broncos did not do that. And that's why they had to start Kendall Hinton at quarterback for a game. I mean, I, I guess I could see a scenario where Cam does that, but then you have to go back to the issue of, okay, are you going to install these concepts for Cam that where he's effective as a, a runner and as a, maybe a play action guy off those runs? Um without him even being in the stadium or working with the players, you know, working with the ones, even working with the twos. Like, I, I think there's a really narrow way for this to work. And I think um, from someone from, from Cam's perspective, for a guy who's made a lot of money, who, you know, was banged up certainly his last few years in the league. Like, is it really worth it? Do you think to be the number two guy in, in an organization where you're going to be isolated for the entire season where you're going to be used in a limited role. Like I, I wouldn't shock me if maybe this was it for Cam, if he didn't want to be uh, maybe a traditional backup. Yeah. I mean, you can't be an emergency quarterback if you're unvaccinated. It just logistically does not work. Um, right. And it's, it's honestly hard to believe that you could be a backup quarterback and be unvaccinated. I know there are a couple scenarios, um, a couple places where we know for sure that the backup quarterback is unvaccinated. Um, but you, you can't have an emergency quarterback that's unvaccinated. And I'm, I'm curious, it doesn't sound like there's anybody who's really going to do that this year. I think mm-hmm. because of the high vaccination rate generally across right. the league and um, the way that the protocols are written, they don't feel like they are going to, are, are going to necessarily um, need that. And yeah, I mean, so with Cam, you know, you've, there were kind of some of the logical places where, or the places that we thought that he could fit 
previously, whether that was going into last season before he signed with the Patriots or, you know, kind of looking now over the last few days, you know, Dallas could have added to their depth. They did mm-hmm. not, they, they were not interested in signing him. Um, Washington uh, with Ron Rivera didn't sign him last year. Didn't seem all that interested in trying to add him to their quarterback room this time. You know, the Broncos who have multiple times had a clear need to, you know, figure out what they're doing at quarterback, which we're going to talk to, we're going to talk about more shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't sign him. So there's not really just like a clear path of a coaching fit, a scheme fit of a, any of these things that, that really makes sense. So I don't know, you know, I hope this isn't the last that we've seen or heard from Cam Newton, but it's just hard to imagine exactly where he fits in the 2021 season now. Right. Even the bills, a team that, you know, if you, merely stopped at the Panthers facility for a day while Sean McDermott was there, seems willing to sign any former Panthers player uh, are not going to sign Cam Newton. So yeah, I mean, it's such a fascinating situation. Like it just seems like a reminder of how quickly things can change. I mean, this was a guy who, you know, was an MVP. It's five years ago now, right? Six 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 years ago, ago, the 2015 season, 2015 season. I mean, a guy who was still, you know, a, an MVP candidate, in the first half of the, tw- the 2018 season as 29 year old and things have gone south quickly. Um, it has been a really fascinating last couple of years for Cam Newton and for uh, his various spots. And, and when it comes to the Patriots now, I mean, with Mac Jones as the starter, like what do you think their ceiling is? I know I talked about a little bit with Robert Mays on the athletic football show, but I want to get your side of this. Like, do you think, the Patriots have the upside to win the division in a division with a, you know, with teams where the bills were 13 and three, the dolphins were 10 and six, what is looking like a pretty tough AFC East. Yeah. I mean, I think the division has changed dramatically since the last time that we were kind of, you know, really evaluating the Patriots role in it. I mean, one of kind of the the underrated parts of the Tom Brady Patriots dynasty was how terrible the rest of the AFC East was Mm -hmm. for most of that time. And I don't think that's the case right now. You know, I, I, I think that there is a gap between them and the bills. And I think it's a substantial gap. The, the dolphins are such like a high variance team to Mm -hmm. me. Like, I think you can make a lot of cases for why they should be good, but you very easily could make the arguments of why it would all fall apart. Um, mostly on the offensive line and then everything falls apart from there. So I could very much see the Patriots being in that middle, you know, that middle tier where maybe they're the second best team in AFC East. Um, maybe, you know, the playoff field is bigger now. Maybe they're a team that if Mac Jones kind of performs at the top end of his potential and, you know, Johnu Smith is a legit player and Hunter Henry is able to stay, uh, stay healthy and Aguilar consistently stretches the field where they actually have legit receiving options that they haven't had in the mm-hmm. last several years. You know, I think you could make that case of saying, okay, maybe this is a 10 win type of team. You know, I think they're doing a lot of interesting things defensively that maybe they're, they're in a good, they're in a good position now that Mac Jones, despite being a rookie probably isn't going to drive this thing off the rails Mm -hmm. that I think maybe you can kind of see what this offense is going to look like. I think there were a lot of questions last year about what exactly the passing game was going to look like with Cam Newton. We knew he was going to run in short yardage, uh, but the receiving options were terrible. And now you say, okay, well, the the skill position players are better. The offensive line is pretty good. Um, The running back group is pretty deep. I wouldn't trust them from a fantasy perspective Mm -hmm. at all when it comes to uh, the the running back group. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, like, are they going to do a lot of RPOs? Is it going to be a lot of play action? Is it going to be a lot of like kind of short intermediate passing game? Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly last year's offense was very unique. Um, a, a big departure, I think, for the Patriots and still some core concepts. There was still some of the core passing concepts in there, but so much of that offense last year, especially early in the season and in and, and short yardage was Cam as a runner and Mac Jones, whatever strengths Mac Jones has, that is not what Mac Jones does well. So um, I will be very intrigued. I mean, this is, you know, this is the long-term guy. This is the guy replacing Tom Brady in the big picture. So um, we get that game pretty soon. That'll be pretty exciting. I think week five, is that week four or week five for Patriots bucks? Yeah, it's, it's fairly soon. Um, but yeah, it's in Foxborough. I, um, I imagine the television networks are going to be, uh, pretty amped up about <laughs> I that think one. that one is going to be on television. I don't think they're going to have that one on like tape delay. Um, you mentioned the Broncos. Let's get to the Denver Broncos because this is a team you see closely living in the Denver area. Like you said, uh, you just saw them in the preseason and the decision that Vic Fangio has made is to give his starting job, a quarterback to Teddy Bridgewater over former second round pick drew lock. So Lindsay, in terms of the offense, we'll get to Bridgewater in a second, but do you think the Broncos are making this decision and attempting to stick with it for the vast majority of the season? Or do you think this is going to be a job where Teddy Bridgewater has it to start but it's more likely to kind of continually change hands as the season goes on. I hope this isn't a yo-yo situation. If it mm-hmm. is kind of a um, situation like we saw with the Dolphins last year, where you know it was almost like they were, you know, using Ryan Fitzpatrick as like a relief pitcher. Yes. At times, I I think that means that things have gone very poorly. Um, I don't think this is the long-term like 2022, 2023 mm-hmm. situation. I think the Broncos are very much, you know, barring some sort of you know, Super Bowl type of run, which I think is a little unrealistic. Sure. Um, I think they will be back in the quarterback market next offseason, whether that's free agency, trades, Aaron Rodgers, um, or the draft, depending on exactly where it is that they're picking. So I think mm-hmm. they're going to be back having this, these conversations next offseason. And I feel sorry for all the people of Denver that will have to sit through another quarterback competition next <laughs> uh, next offseason and next August. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they want they want Teddy to be the guy now, you know, mm-hmm. they, they drug this out all of training camp. I mean, really into the, the third week of the preseason to really figure out who was going to be their guy. And um, they want, they want it to be Teddy. They, they like his temperament for the roster that they have. Um, Big Fangio obviously very much likes that he's that, that Bridgewater is efficient and safe. He's the lower risk quarterback. Um, I guess my question in mm-hmm. all of this is going to be, you know, if, if Teddy is constantly doing a lot of like dinking and dunking and taking the short, safe completions, is that going to be enough to score a lot of points? Is that mm-hmm. going to, how, is that going to raise your ceiling? Are you going to, is your winning formula going to be hoping that you can win games, you know, 20 to 17? Um, and I just don't know how realistic that is in a division where you're going to be playing Patrick Mahomes twice a year. You're going to be playing the chargers a couple times a year. The Raiders can score in bunches. You know, I think they're going to give up a lot of points as well. Mm-hmm. The, the Raiders are, but they can score a lot. So I, I just don't know if that's kind of the necessarily the winning formula, especially when you have as good of offensive talent as they really have amassed this year, mm-hmm. especially now that, you know, Cortland Sutton is healthy and um, Noah Fant and Jerry Judy, 
looked ridiculous um, through training camp and his preseason action. So you have some explosive dynamic skill position players. Mm-hmm. Is Teddy Bridgewater going to be the guy that can maximize their talents? Yeah, I think that's a very valid question. Um, I wrote about them actually in my column for teams most likely to improve heading into the 2021 season. And the biggest reason why is that the Broncos were the, um, they had the worst turnover margin in all of football last year. And you would figure, I know that Teddy Bridgewater turned the ball over a fair amount for the Panthers last year, but, and, and Drew Locke was better as a rookie in terms of avoiding takeaways than he was in year two, but you would figure Teddy Bridgewater heading into the season would be less likely to turn the football over than Drew Locke if given 17 games and the requisite opportunities to hold on to the football. At the same time, you know, I, I think you're very fair to say that Teddy Bridgewater's ceiling might not be that, you know, sort of that style of quarterback where he's going to be a guy chucking it downfield. This is not going to be an explosive offense. Now, I guess the question for me is like, do you think Vic Fangio believes that he can win games with that defense? And do you think getting Von Miller back and adding the pieces on cor- at, at corner, like, do you think they can be a playoff team if Teddy Bridgewater is the guy we've known from the past couple of years? And even if they can't necessarily win the division against the Chiefs, do you think that adding Kyle Fuller, adding Pastor Ten Jr., getting Von Miller back, do you think this defense can be like a, you know, sort of similar to the Vikings teams that Teddy won with a few years ago? Yeah, I think they very much believe that. You know, I think Vic Fangio believes that, and I think George Payton believes that. I mean, that mm-hmm. is Vic Fangio's identity. You know, when the Bears went to the playoffs a few years ago, um, you know, when Vic, that was a Vic Fangio defense. You know, he was the coordinator of a lot of those really dynamic, scary 49ers defenses. Mm-hmm. So I think he very much believes that they can win that way. That if you just take care of the football and you don't put the rest of us in bad situations. And I, you know, this quarterback competition to its credit, to Vic Fangio's credit, it was completely fair. I mean, this Mm -hmm. was, it was not tilted. There were some, you'd see these little conspiracy theories out there of like, you know, the personnel groups that each guy got, but look, they split these reps completely evenly to the point that I think sometimes they would realize that, you know, Teddy had two more. And so Drew had to go in and, you know, it was, it was an even competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to his credit, it was, you know, it was this, this even, even competition. So, you know, I think he really looked at it and said, what am I comfortable with? Um, mm-hmm. Was he thinking about some of the mistakes from last year and the times that Drew Locke did cost them games of those times that Drew Locke made the bad interception or made the really poor decision? You know, was that in the back of his head while, the, while this otherwise fair quarterback competition was going on? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he doesn't have that history with Teddy. George Payton has history with Teddy, obviously from, from Minnesota. Um, but it, you know, it was kind of more of a clean slate, I think for Teddy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just think from who Vic Fangio is and how they believe that they can win. Um, they just want a guy who's not gonna, not gonna kill you. And <laughs> Teddy might not light it up, but he's probably not going to kill you. And, um, yeah, so that's I, that's ultimately where I think this went. But I do, like I said, I, I do think they're going to be back having these quarterback competition or quarterback questions again in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is sort of the official, like the, the official moment the Broncos gave up on Drew Locke as their 
long-term starter? Or do you think that they were already at that point? Or do you think they're still holding, holding out hope? But like, cause to me, it feels like, you know, heading into the, heading into the training camp, it felt like the best case scenario for the Broncos would have been Drew Locke looking way better and then giving him a shot to make a sort of, you know, dramatic leap in his third year. But it sort of feels like that hasn't happened. And now they're sort of getting down to the reality that he's not going to be the guy in the long term. Yeah. I mean, I think that point maybe happened earlier this off season when they, you know, traded for Teddy Bridgewater, who is not, you know, I mean, I think he was one of the, the better options that was available out there, but it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, he was, you know, Teddy was coming in off of this, you know, all pro kind of season, you know, right. um, you know, I think that point, kind of had already passed. Mm-hmm. The tough thing here now for Drew Locke is that he did what they wanted him to do in this quarterback competition. Um, he did not get worse. You know, he wasn't making the same mistakes that he made last season. He was much safer with the football. I mean, he went like a multi-week stretch in training camp um, practices and in preseason games without throwing an interception. The game that we were at on Saturday night, he did lose a fumble. He had, you know, a little pocket awareness issue, the strip sack there. Um, but like he largely did what the coaches wanted. They, he showed the improvement in the areas that had been weak. So that's, what's got to be tough for Drew Locke in the mm-hmm. situations to know that he actually p- performed really well. And he played well in the games that he started. Um, and then he still ultimately lost this competition. So what exactly is his future? Is he a career backup? I know he believes that he can be a starting quarterback and will want that opportunity, but I don't know how many people around the league are going to look at Drew Locke and say, okay, he's, he's a guy that's going to be our starting quarterback. I think he's going to be in quarterback competitions most summers now, you mm-hmm. know, for a while until he can latch on somewhere and actually win a job, right. uh, you know, what best case scenario is he's like a, another Mizzou guy, Chase Daniel, go out and make yourself a ton of money. Blake Gabbert. What is it with these Mizzou quarterbacks? <laughs> like we're the best career backups. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's really hard to see a direct path for, for Drew Locke of what comes next. And, you know, last week, Vic Fangio said, Oh, I think he's going to be a great starter in this league. He's going to have a long career, but if he couldn't beat out Treddy Bridgewater on a team that already knew you and had invested in you, it's hard to see exactly where that spot is going to be. Yeah. Chase Daniel played it the right way, which is to not play at all for the first five years, as opposed to uh, Blaine Gabbard and Drew Locke, who were uh, forced into the lineup quickly and did not go all that well for them. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree. You know, stranger things have happened. Like, you know, Josh Allen went from being kind of a meme to being a superstar last year. So I never want to rule anything out, but you know, I mean, it's certainly been at best, you would say inconsistent with Drew Locke where, I mean, the, the games where he's been good, he's been really good. And the games where he's been bad, it's been like, Oh, you know, not Kendall Hinton, but like, you can't imagine committing to him for another year as the starter. So um, it'd be tough to commit to him as the starter. And I, you know, I, I think he's an NFL quarterback, but it certainly seems like, you know, his best chance to be a long-term starter would have been with a team that valued him as a mid second round pick. And that is no seemingly no longer the case. They don't see him as um, at least their short-term starter. Um, I want to ask you about another team actually that committed to a quarterback and, appears to have changed their mind. And I'm a little confused. And I don't know if you are as well. The New Orleans Saints, a team that last year basically committed to paying Taysom Hill 
$11.4 million more than they were planning on paying him across the 2019, sorry, the 2020 and 2021 seasons. Last year, he was a restricted free agent. Uh, the Saints not only signed him to the top tender for a restricted free agent, but also then gave him a one-year extension as well. Taysom Hill starts four games for the Saints last year when Drew Brees is hurt. They go three and one. He's not incredible by any means, but effective. Most, in most cases, I mean, the Broncos game, he was not very good, but I thought he was pretty good otherwise, outside of maybe the, the Broncos game in the first half against the Eagles, he was bad. Otherwise, pretty good. But the Broncos did win, or sorry, the Saints did win three of those four games. He obviously comes out of the lineup when Drew Brees comes back. He does not play in the postseason because he's hurt. But then the Saints bring back Jameis Winston. The rumors all offseason are that Jameis Winston's going to be the starter. And Jameis Winston, who was on the roster last year and didn't get first crack at the job last year, is the starter to begin the 2021 season. So, Lindsay, do you think the Saints soured on Taysom Hill? Or is there something different about Jameis Winston that you think leads the Saints to make him the starter heading into the year? Yeah, I mean, I think this competition or this scenario would have played out completely differently had it been in 31 other markets, you know, because I don't think it would have been a a quarterback competition Mm -hmm. in any other, a a starting job up for grabs, basically anywhere else. Um, The Saints were the only team that was going to invest the way that they did in Taysom Hill. Sean Payton sees something in Taysom Hill as a passer, as a potential starting quarterback that I don't think anybody else in the NFL did like, mm-hmm. you know, when they gave Taysom Hill that contract last year, who were they, you know, they didn't have to give him that contract. Right. Nobody else was out there like banging down the door of like, I want to pay Taysom Hill, you know, $10 million. So they had to pay him 11. That just mm-hmm. wasn't happening. Right. So, you know, I think this was a competition or a scenario where it was a legitimate NFL quarterback, one who has, you know, has had some issues, some turnover Mm -hmm. issues in his past, um, but who has the complete NFL quarterback skill set, right? Who has thrown many, many, many touchdowns, who was once the number one overall pick in the draft, um, Mm. has a lot of really positive quarterback traits versus a guy who is at age, how old is Taysom Hill now? I believe he's at least 30, right? I think he's 31. Um, Is still a developmental passing prospect. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's just like almost bonkers when you lay it out that way, right? That this was actually a competition. So ultimately it played out, I think the way that we expected that it would, right. That if you have a a veteran NFL quarterback versus Mm -hmm. a developmental passing prospect, um, that the veteran quarterback is going to be better over the course of, you know, weeks and months and preseason games and all that sort of stuff. Um, my question moving forward here is like one, or I have multiple questions. One has, did Jameis Winston, like, did he get that interception stuff out of him? <laughs> or is that just still so much of a part of kind of who he is The, um, you know, the no risk it, no biscuit for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, but like, does he still have that in him? Or was that year with Drew Brees playing as a backup, you know, learning in the Sean Payton system and having Sean Payton potentially design maybe a a safer system for him. Um, Can he cut that down? Can he be a 15 interception Mm -hmm. starter as opposed to a 30 interception starter, which which is what we saw from him in 2019, his last year in Tampa Bay. Um, I want to know if that, I I just want to see that. We need to see more. We, the preseason is not nearly a large enough sample size. Um, And then the fact that 
Taysom Hill, you know, lost this competition, right? That Sean Payton picked Jameis Winston. How much is the Taysom Hill still thing still in Sean Payton's head? And mm-hmm. how quick will he be to, you know, switch back to him to, mm-hmm. are there, are we going to see a lot of Taysom Hill packages? You know, the stuff that they did with Drew Brees was playing. I guess those are, those are kind of the long-term questions I have now of how this is going to play out over the course of the season. Yeah. So let's take this one at the time. I mean, when it comes to the Taysom Hill package thing, I guess let's start there. We can get to Jameis in a second. I mean, Taysom had a significant role, a meaningful role with uh, Drew Brees in the lineup. And I think to me, like almost if only to justify the fact that you gave him this contract, I have to figure they're going to keep using him in that role. And like, I think he can be fine in that role as a red zone guy, as a third down guy, as a short yardage guy. Like, I think if anything, maybe Sean Payton is less deferential to Jameis Winston than he was to Drew Brees. And so maybe he has an even bigger role in those situations, Um, which would be fascinating because I don't think we've seen an NFL team use like a red zone guy, you know, on like half their red zone positions or something. But I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility um, that could happen. I would be really intrigued by that. And I think, you know, Sean has had an entire off season to think about this stuff and hopefully has some creative solutions, but I mean, it certainly feels like they have to give Taysom some kind of role in the offense. Like, you know, just having him as a, a rote backup doesn't seem yeah. like it, you know, it, it, it just, it would be a waste. And, you know, I, I guess they could do that if Jameis is great. And that's not out of the question that Jameis is great. And I think to your other point, like, number one, I love the idea that a quarterback has a number of interceptions in his body. And if he just gets rid of them <laughs> at the beginning of his career, just get them out of his system. He's good. Um, I, you know, I, I think absolutely Jameis has a great chance of, you know, uh, of, of being better than he was in Tampa Bay. He's had some time to learn the scheme ability, I guess, like you said, to, to watch Drew Brees from afar, who was a guy who did, um, you know, dramatically improve as his career went on. Like Drew Brees, it was a little earlier in his career, but Drew Brees was a guy who was kind of written off as a bust. And, you know, the, the Chargers drafted drafted Eli Manning, I guess, and then traded for Philip Rivers to replace Drew Brees. And then out of nowhere, Drew Brees was suddenly very good for the remainder of his NFL career. Um, the thing I would say, though, uh, the, the maybe the difference between someone like a Sam Darnold, who I don't think is going to be very good in Carolina, but I think you can make a case for Sam Darnold in Carolina and say, okay, well, he had Adam Gase. The Jets receivers were a mess. Their offensive line wasn't any good. Look at, at the guys who Jameis Winston was working with his final year as a starter in Tampa. It was Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, OJ Howard, um, uh, most of the offensive line. They didn't have Tristan Wirfs right tackle at the time, but you know, four-fifths of the offensive line and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, who have a great track record of working with quarterbacks elsewhere. Arians, of course, uh, you know, in Arizona and in Indy and Pittsburgh. I mean, a, a great track record of success with quarterbacks and not a track record of getting a quarterback through 30 interceptions or whatever the crazy number James posted in his final season. So you get to the Saints roster this year. And yes, Sean Payton is a genius when it comes to offense, but the, the receivers he's going to be working with the first six weeks of the year, it's maybe going to be Marcus Callaway, Traquan Smith, and Juwan Johnson as his top three receivers. And that's not exactly Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And, and, you know, the play calling might be great, but he had a pretty good play caller in Tampa for his final year as well. So 
you know, I, I want to believe that he has improved, but like, it's not as if he had nothing in years past and is moving into a situation where everything is right. Like he had, he had a different situation in Tampa, but I, I think if you were taking an average quarterback and you could plug them into Tampa situation right now, or Tampa situation from 2019 and the same situation right now, I think most quarterbacks would be better in the Tampa situation, given the the coaching, the combination of coaching and talent they have. Sure. Yeah. I mean, is it, is Taysom Hill like their second best wide receiver right now? <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's not how, how excited you are about uh, guys like Traquan Swift, Marcus Callaway, little Jordan Humphrey. Look, I'm excited and, about Marcus Callaway. Sure. But I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's bleak. And even that tight end, they signed Nick Vanette. Nick Vanette's hurt. Adam Troutman was going to be a breakout guy. Adam Troutman is less than 100% heading into the season. Like, this is about as thin as it gets. And they'll get better, hopefully, as the year goes along when they get Michael Thomas back and some of the tight ends back. And they do have Alvin Kamara, who's an excellent, of course, receiving back. But, man, it is bleak out there when it comes to receivers for the Saints. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not a great situation. Um, I do have some faith in Sean Payton. Sure. Um, they, I, I have faith in that offensive line. Um, and I want to have faith in Jameis. I think it would be a tremendous story if he's mm-hmm. able to, um, you know, be a good quarterback. I mean, even if he's like the 15th best quarterback, the, you know, a top 15, 10 to 15 range. I still think that's a great story. You know, mm-hmm. he, if he gets to revive his career and get himself a long-term contract, whether that's New Orleans or um, somewhere else. It would probably be New Orleans, right? If it works. Um, but I think that would be a great story. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm pulling for him to rebound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is a, like, like, I feel like this is the chance. I mean, if, it, if it's not this year for Jameis, it's not going to be any time in the future. And Stranger things have happened. Again, going back to the Josh Allen argument, I don't think you can rule anything out when it comes to quarterbacks, but um, I, I would figure Jameis is the starter for the whole year if he stays healthy. Um, maybe Taysom Hill comes in for a game if, if Jameis struggles. Uh, if he you know, throws four interceptions in the first three quarters of a game or something. And I think Taysom has a role, but unlike the Broncos situation, it kind of feels like this one is going to stick. A situation, on the other hand, where things are, they were less clear until maybe an injury seems to have sealed the situation is San Francisco where Trey Lance, of course, was drafted with the third overall pick. The Niners traded three first rounders to move up and get him. Of course, Trey Lance is the quarterback of the future for the San Francisco 49ers, but Jimmy Garoppolo was still on the roster, an unguaranteed $25 million due Jimmy Garoppolo that guarantees if he's on the roster for week one of the NFL season, I was always of the volition that Jimmy Garoppolo was not going to be on the week one roster, whether he was going to get traded before the draft, whether he was going to get traded after the draft, whether he was going to get cut. I just didn't see the logic in keeping a guy who has his injury history on the roster in week one, guaranteeing his salary when you know, you strongly suspect, maybe don't know, but strongly suspect at some point during the season, they're going to turn to Trey Lance. And now it seems like with a fractured finger for Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of locked onto the roster. So what I want to start with, Lindsay, is do you think Jimmy Garoppolo was always going to be this team's week one starter? Or do you think Trey Lance had a chance where he could have won the job in camp and the Niners would have done something with Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, I mean, I 
Kyle Shanahan seemed really committed. He did to this thing to that. Jimmy was going to be their guy. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to talk about the bears here coming up yes. because of Matt Nagy and his history. If anything, does this situation in San Francisco, it probably is the closest thing to the chiefs, Alex right. Smith, Patrick Mahomes model, but the chiefs did not dabble with Patrick Mahomes. They weren't like, let's bring him in for little spurts here and there. Let's design some packages. They just said, we're not playing this guy. He's going to be our backup quarterback. Um, because that's what, that's kind of where the pressure comes. Otherwise, you know, that if you go back and you talk to people who are around the chiefs that in 2017 and these stories have been written a lot everybody in that building knew what mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes was doing they knew what he was doing to the scout you know on the scout team and what he was doing to their starting defense they knew what he had done in training camp um so it was kind of just building the scenario of, of, of what exactly was happening mm-hmm. in San Francisco it's this it's a kind of a different dynamic where we're seeing what he's doing they're experimenting with bringing Trey Lance in for these these packages whether they're running packages or you know, potentially some passing packages where they're splitting reps back and forth. All mm-hmm. that's doing is making this in- extremely challenging for Kyle Shanahan because he, I, I don't think this is even as much of like a, a football thing. Now this is really going to be kind of a team management and stress management and yeah. crisis management thing almost now for, for Kyle Shanahan to deal with. And, you know, I think he, he really enjoys the media misinformation. He loved it. I think in the pre-draft cycle, I think he's, you know, it's been kind of funny for him too. this, you know, the last couple of weeks of like, Oh, who's going to be your starter, that stuff. Mm-hmm. But at some point, if Garoppolo is not playing well, um, it's going to become a thing. It's going to be something that he's going to have to deal with within his own locker room. And it's going to mm-hmm. become a thing within the fan base. And I've been around places where it has become a thing where you're hearing about it in the stadiums. You're hearing about it. You know, you take your kids to school and his kids, teachers and the dads of his, you know, his kids soccer team, you know, they're going to be asking him constantly. And I think they already are asking him, but it's going to become a thing that's probably going to end up weighing on him. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see how, you know, Kyle Shanahan um, kind of manages that whole side of this, because look, we all know that Trey Lance is their long-term starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. We all know that, right? We know that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be here next year. You know, his contract is extremely tradable after this season. So how do you go about managing that when you have a team that should be able to compete for a division title this year? It's going to be really, really difficult, I think. If you could guarantee that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play all 17 games and Trey Lance is going to sit all year, that would be fine. I think the Niners would take that. I think they'd be happy with that in the long term. But the problem is... You can't guarantee that. No. And you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's history. I've mentioned this a million times now, but I, I feel like I keep coming back to it. Jimmy Garoppolo has been the week one starter for his team four times. He's made it out of September healthy, without a serious injury once in those four tries. That was, of course, the year the Niners made it to the Super Bowl, a, a separated shoulder his first season um, with the Patriots when he was filling in for a suspended Tom Brady the torn ACL with the Niners in his first full year as a starter. And then last year, the high ankle sprain against the Jets that kind of sunk his season altogether. Now you can't say, okay, we know Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get hurt, but I think the nightmare scenario for the Niners is that you start Garoppolo, you keep him on the roster. If he's on the roster week one, he is, you know, doing fine. He's doing Jimmy Garoppolo stuff. He's not perfect, but we know he's an, a, a, certainly an above average starter. It feels like, um, 
and he gets hurt again in September and you're stuck not only paying him the $25 million that you now can't roll over or spend somewhere else, but you have to put Trey Lance in the lineup anyway, which would have happened if you just cut Garoppolo before the season began. So now I think the Niners are in okay shape because you do have a solid plan at quarterback, assuming Lance is back in a couple of weeks and you have Garoppolo on the roster. You're not going to be stuck playing Nick Bones or TJ Beathard for an extended period of time. But I also feel like, you know, it sort of mitigates some of the benefit of having Lance on the roster and having a cheap quarterback on the roster. Now, if they get a draft pick for Garoppolo next year, great, they'll be fine. If the Alex Smith season happens, where his final year in Kansas City, he was very good, they're not going to complain. But I, I just think it's such like a narrow path to it being a really successful combination of quarterbacks. And then again, at the same time, you know, Kyle Shanahan's smart. Like, you know, this is a, he's a pretty smart guy when it comes to offense. And I think with Trey Lance, what we saw in the preseason, we saw there were drives where he looked awesome. He looked like he was a total superstar and there were drives where he looked overmatched where he was still struggling, which to be fair, is not all that much different from the way Patrick Mahomes looked his first season in that first game with the Broncos, uh, first game against the Broncos, his first start in week 17, that rookie season. And I think that, um, you know, if Trey Lance had been incredible, if he'd been like that Dak Prescott preseason from a few years ago, maybe that would have been enough if he'd been healthy. But I do feel like there was, you know, enough stuff here and there that I think the Niners, if they went into the preseason thinking, okay, Jimmy is going to be our guy to start the season. I, I think they got some things to be excited about for the future, but not enough to really sway them even before the, uh, the finger injury to Trey Lance. All I know is that they're going to be really, really interesting to yes. watch and they're going to be really fun as I'm sitting here on a Sunday afternoon and granted a lot of their games will be in that later, you know, the later window. Um, but I, they're, they're a team that I'm going to be seeking out because I just want to see what exactly their offense is going to look like um, basically every drive. And there's probably going to be, you know, we're all on Twitter Sunday afternoons and there's going to be like the Trey Lance siren, right. Mm-hmm. That every time he trots in and we're following all the Niners beat writers and we all switch over, mm-hmm. you know, we flip over our game pass or whatever to that, to that channel, or they hi- hopefully they'll like highlight it on red zone or whatever, mm-hmm. um, because it's going to be really, really, really fun to watch and interesting to see how they manage the whole thing. Do you think that they will use Trey Lance in the red zone the way that they, uh, we're using him as a runner in that last preseason game. I mean, they probably should, right? Mm-hmm. I hope so. It'd be fun. Like, like should in I terms draft of like, him? It's like a running course. back. I mean, not as a running back, but like <laughs> I feel like like he's the perfect last round pick in a fantasy draft, right? Yeah. Or like, there's that chance that he comes in in week eight and he's incredible and wins you a league, but you have to have him on your roster for the first seven weeks of this season. I mean, I, I think there was a way to use him, of course, once he gets back from the finger injury. But um, I, I think he is a starter by the end of the year, whether it's because Garoppolo gets hurt or because Kyle Shanahan just has this really shiny toy and eventually just gets bored. But you got to figure Niners fans, if if they do struggle, like the, this is, these are the same people who chanted for, for David Carr once over Alex Smith. Like there's going to be a Trey Lance chant at some point this year when the Niners are struggling. Oh, for sure. Look, it could be week one. It might be week one. It it could be week one. And I'll tell you what, moving on to our final team here, a, a guy who is certainly, I think, going to inspire uh, Bears fans calling for him to enter the lineup by the end of week one, I think, is Justin Fields, where uh, I, I almost feel bad for Andy Dalton. Like he did not, it's not his fault he's in this situation, but the Bears uh, ha- have 
consistently, uh, so what I was thinking of consistently said, Andy Dalton is going to be our week one starter. As we approach week one, it seems more and more likely that Andy Dalton will actually be their week one starter. And I am yet to meet anyone who I think has done anything to convince me that Andy Dalton should be their week one starter. So Lindsay, can you play devil's advocate here? Like, can you make a case for the bears starting Andy Dalton week one and not just going directly to Justin Fields? I mean, I guess the case is, is that they just really believe that Justin Fields, like that their team isn't good enough otherwise to win with Justin Fields right now. And that, you know, playing him too early would do some sort of long-term damage. I have a hard time buying that excuse. And, you know, and that's the case that Matt Nagy has been making along the way of that. This is a long-term thing and he's not thinking about his own job and that he's thinking about what's best for Justin Fields. And the best thing for Justin Fields isn't to play right now, Mm -hmm. but like that does not line up with anything that our eyes have shown us from any point of the preseason from multiple aspects, from what we've seen out of Justin Fields, the, the wow plays, the composure, the, what he can do um, out of structure, just everything that we've actually seen from him um, is one part of that. And the other part is we haven't seen a single thing from Andy Dalton. that makes you think that this is the guy that you want to be playing instead. You know, it'd be one thing if it was Jimmy Garoppolo, right? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo would be, it would make sense better in this situation, you know, let alone Alex Smith, who was an actually an MVP candidate for, you know, part of the 20 that midway through that 2017 season. Mm-hmm. That is not what we've seen out of Andy Dalton there. The bears offense has looked dramatically different in practices and in games when Andy Dalton is in the huddle versus Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and if this was an open competition, if they had ever decided to kind of open their minds to that and make it a fair competition, kind of like the one that we saw in Denver where they split all the reps evenly and, mm-hmm. you know, tried to take kind of this big picture holistic view at it, I think Justin Fields would have come out checking just about every box that he was mm-hmm. going to be your starting quarterback. And instead, they're moving ahead with a guy who probably had didn't earn it, right? I mean, he didn't, he wasn't better by any metric that we saw during the preseason mm-hmm. um, other than just being older and more experienced. So while I kind of said that the Niners have a, a, an interesting situation to manage, I think this is going to be incredibly challenging for the bears, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace to manage because the guys in that locker room, they know, mm-hmm. right. They know what they have in Justin Fields. They know what fields can do, what the offense has already shown it can do when he's on the field. And it's just going to be really hard if Andy Dalton isn't playing well. And look, there's a chance that he's not going to be playing well, that that offensive line is really bad, that he's Mm -hmm. going to be under a lot of pressure, that their skill position group is not very good. Um, After Alan Robbins said, you know, there's a good chance that they're not good. And you're going to have to try to keep selling that inside your own locker room, let alone to your fan base, that this is our guy. And you're you're, We're going to keep moving forward with a guy who is demonstrably worse um, than the, the young, exciting, cheaper guy behind him. The guy who you traded up to grab in the draft too, like the guy you committed significant resources and understandably. So I don't think anyone criticized the bears for making that move up for Justin Fields. And what I find interesting about this is I've heard the argument that the Ram, that the Bears should not play Justin Fields week one against the Rams because Aaron Donald will eat him alive, which is not 
out of the realm of possibility. And I can understand not wanting to play him against the Rams, but the schedule after the Rams for the Chicago Bears, they're home against the Bengals. They're at the Browns. They're home against the Lions. They're at the Raiders. I mean, that is a four-week stretch against some pretty bad defenses. The Browns, you figure, will be better on defense in 2021, but the Bengals, the Lions, the Raiders, those are three of the worst defenses in football from a year ago. So if you ever wanted to give Justin Fields a chance to kind of hit the ground running against some pretty mediocre defenses before a four-game stretch following that, that's Packers, Bucks, Niners, Steelers, and then Ravens after the bye. Like, that seems like the window to do it. And I think we've seen in years past, we've seen teams make a move quickly. I mean, the Texans were seemingly committed. I think it was Tom Savage was their week one starter. Deshaun Watson was in by the end of the game was the week two starter. Bill, same thing. Uh, I believe it was Nathan Peterman was their week one starter. By the end of the game, Josh Allen was in. He was the week two starter. We've seen teams like Jaguars with Blake Bortles. And we saw even the Bears with Mitchell Trubisky were. They were not as committed to it, seemingly. They had Mike Glennon. And Mike Glennon, you know, didn't have Andy Dalton's track record, um, for better or worse. But they, you know, Mike Glennon was a starter. Mitch Trubisky was going to spend the year learning and redshirting and developing. And then after a, a quarter of the season, Mitch Trubisky was in the lineup and stuck around for the next couple of years. So I think even though Justin Fields did, has not won this job and he's not the week one starter, I I would almost be surprised if he's not the week two starter just because of what's probably going to happen in this first game at Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's, you know, look, the Rams defensive line is probably going to get it after them pretty good. And if you were like legitimately concerned that Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey or whoever it is, was like physically going to damage Justin Fields. I think that's probably a little concerning, but Mm -hmm. like also unrealistic, right? I mean, we've seen that Justin Fields is a really tough guy. He's played, he played through a lot at Ohio state last year. You know, he took that ridiculous hit. Um, mm-hmm. I believe in the second preseason game where he basically got his, his head knocked off, yes. um, popped, you know, it, it looked worse than it was just because of probably the way this helmet was buckled. Um, but if you're concerned that like getting hit too much in week one or whatever Aaron Donald might do to him was going to like break him mentally, that's like a really poor evaluation then on Mm -hmm. a a guy that you traded up to draft in the top 10. Right. I don't think that's giving Justin Fields nearly enough credit. And it's also a difficult, you know, I, I, sorry, I keep getting into like the psychology of like what this is meaning in the locker room and how you sell this to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Is that like, we don't think we can win this game and we're going to get beat. We want to protect this guy long-term, but all of the rest of you, you know, are playing on short-term contracts. You don't have any long-term security. Like it's just going to be a really difficult thing to manage and it could get ugly there, you know, fairly quickly for, for everybody until Justin Fields plays, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's one thing to try and talk the media, try and talk the fans into thinking that Andy Dalton is the better choice when you actually have to be around the players on a day-to-day basis and have to you know, have some command over your locker room. That's a much, much tougher sell. And I think that, you know, maybe there's stuff that we don't see. You know, I think Eddie Dalton, by all accounts, is a professional and a well-regarded guy. I mean, someone who I think, you know, by all accounts, the locker room likes, but 
Justin Fields is the guy. It's just a question of how quickly the Bears are willing to admit that he's that solution. I mean, do you think, if you had to guess, when do you think Justin Fields makes his first NFL start? I mean, I, I, you say week two, which I don't think is, is super far-fetched. I think the Bears seem pretty committed to this plan. Mm-hmm. So I think they might try to drag it out a few more weeks. And I, I think it might be like week five or six, mm-hmm. basically until you know, Nagy has no other option and they're, you know, one in four or, you know, they're really kind of in a desperate, in a desperate situation. Mm-hmm. Another guy who I feel like in your fantasy league, having him as like the next to last pick on your roster, the last pick on your roster could lead to some pretty exciting second half scores for you as the season goes on. That Bears Giants game in week 17 just feels like Justin Fields is going to score like 50 points and win some people their fantasy championships. That is so far away. Um, we have, I think that's it. Like any other, any other thoughts you have on these five quarterback situations? Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing that I always just keep coming back to is that, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes have kind of made things really, really difficult for all these young guys who are going to come after them because we spent what, 10 years hearing teams saying, we're going to follow the Aaron Rodgers model. And this mm-hmm. is the way that we develop it when really it was a kind of a, a, a very unique, very specific to the Packers and who Aaron Rodgers was that this worked, that situation. Mm-hmm. And now, and because nobody else did it. You spent 10 years of teams saying they wanted to develop quarterbacks that way and bring rookies along that way. It never happened, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of a one-time unique thing. And now we're going to hear for 10 years, teams saying, we want to do what the Chiefs did with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes, not realizing that Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes were like two super special sparkly unicorns who that just cannot be replicated. And um, if you keep trying to, to do that and develop your quarterbacks that way, all that's going to happen is you're probably going to mess up your rookie quarterback and you're probably going to get fired. Yes. And I think that's what the end game comes down to. I think it's the perfect conclusion here is at the end of the day, coaches are going to do the thing that is least likely to get them fired. And in so many cases, that is seeing what you have with this young, exciting quarterback. And I think by the end of the year, uh, Jones obviously already is a starter. Um, I would imagine Fields as well. And Trey Lance will all be starting for their various teams. But that is a long ways away. And we will have you back on, Lindsey Jones, I'm sure, before then to talk about the NFL. But until then... Where can people check out the work you do? Um, You can find me um, on The Athletic. Make sure you subscribe. We've got some really good deals going on right now. And I will be on The Athletic Football Show with our friend Robert Mays every Thursday moving forward. I think I'm going to be on Wednesday next week as part of the preview series. But Mm -hmm. um, every Thursday, we'll be breaking down all of the biggest news and doing a little bit of, you know, a little bit of previewing of the week's games, but really getting into kind of all the biggest storylines around the league each week. Speaking of disappointing people from Missouri, Robert, no, that's, that's me or not, <laughs> not, it's, it's a joke. It's okay. Um, Lindsay, of course, you know, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll have you back on again later on in the season. Hopefully to talk about some of these quarterbacks breaking through. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. All right, guys. Thanks so much to Lindsay Jones with the athletic. Please uh, don't tell Robert Mays that I was insulting him, but of course, Mays and Lindsay and Nate Tyson, other people do a great job on the athletic football show. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We have more audio coming next week. The NFL season is almost here. One week away. Uh, If you're listening to this on Thursday, literally 
one week away, the NFL season. So really excited for actual football to talk about. We're going to come back next week. One final preview show coming up. Thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way next week.